0: I love the hope that we have. And I, I, one of the things that I think is one of my main objectives, I think, uh, in talking about Bible prophecy is the joyful part. Um, that's why I'm always talking about boom and zoom uh, instead of doom and gloom. Somewhere along the way, I think um, maybe we, as Bible prophecy students uh, over the years, have, we you know, it's almost like, if, if we could sort of summarize what happens is a lot of you are Christians. We, we, we know the Lord. We know we're going to heaven. We know he's gracious and merciful. And, and um, so we kind of we know all that. And then we talk about all the stuff that's going on in the world that points to the end. But what, here's what we do is we mistakenly just talk about that stuff. And then the newcomers come in and hear us talking about all the doom and gloom and we, we forget to talk, oh, by the way, this isn't gonna happen to us. We're not appointed unto wrath, we, but to obtain salvation. Uh, we get to be in heaven for all eternity. Um, and the judgment that's gonna come up on this world is is not meant for us. Read First Thessalonians chapter five. It says, wherefore, you know, comfort one another with these words. What words? That we're gonna be taken before the wrath pours out. And, and it's really a, a message of great joy, not doom and gloom. What, what's interesting, though, about the days you and I are living in today is there's a whole new doom and gloom group. Um, you know what it is? Gen Z. As it turns out, Gen Z is all about doom and gloom, and it's really sad to see what's happening. Um, there's actually a name for this, by the way. Have you ever heard of this? Doomerism. Uh, it's, a, it's a real thing, uh, and um, and there's kind of a joke. Uh, there's, there's sort of a joke that's going on, and maybe uh, you know, as older people, uh, I'm right on the edge of baby boomer slash uh, Gen X. I'm, I'm technically a Gen Xer by like one year. But baby boomers, uh, all of us old folks here, um, you know uh, what the young people say, you know, uh, uh, you know about us as boomers. Oh, you know, yeah, boomers. You know, yeah, you you know, you guys are, of course, you guys are a little senile now, boomers. But um, but the Gen Zers are now they're they're going yeah doomers uh, because they're all about the doom. Gen Z is one of the most depressed uh, young group of kids in the world's history. The stats are alarming, suicide rates are skyrocketing, depression is off the charts, and this idea of being a doomer is very real. In fact, I wanna show you um, a video snippet of somebody who was talking about this and kind of summing up a lot of the young Gen Zers right now, it goes like this, I'll show you this video.
1: We are living through the age of Doomerism. A bunch of very real global crises, plus the psychological effects of 24-7 news and doom-scrolling can make it feel like the world is truly falling apart. The entire planet is about to be destroyed for Gen Z, who are coming of age in this environment, it can be paralyzing. But how much of this sense of apocalyptic doom is totally warranted? And how much is shaped by our constant onlineness? And more importantly, how much of this attitude is really helpful? In July 2022, Jane Koston wrote a New York Times piece called Try to Resist the Call of the Doomers, and how we are experiencing a new religion of profound pessimism. According to Koston, the problem with Doomerism isn't that it honestly points out our challenges, but that it luxuries in the awful and makes people feel so hopeless that they lose agency and don't work to address what's wrong in the world mm-hmm. The world is gonna end in 12 years if we don't address climate change and your biggest issue mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. Your your biggest issue is how are we gonna pay for it mm-hmm. and like this is the war this is our World War II. Mm-hmm. There is no planet B There is no planet blah, 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 build back better, blah, 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 green economy, blah, blah, blah. Our hopes and dreams drown in their empty words and promises. Of course, we need constructive dialogue, but they've now had 30 years of blah, 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 and where has that led us?
0: You know, uh, this is sad because she represents a lot of 15, 16, 17-year-olds uh, today. The way they look at it, of course, they've been indoctrinated to believe all these things, and uh, it's it's really sad to see. Uh, you know, why we sort of chuckle at all the you know stuff, it, and at the same time, it's it's actually really costing lives, and there there's no hope. That's the problem for this younger Gen Z generation, and and you know all of us as Christians today, we have work to do, um, because there's hope, there's joy, there's blessing. Um, you know, it's interesting because uh, we live in you know the greater Portland metro area. And, you know, we really are one of the most, uh, you know, it's really kind of sad to see what's happened to Portland. I mean, when we moved up here in 96, you know, we, we looked at Portland as sort of a mission project and uh, to bring Jesus into this town. And that's why we moved here. And uh, boy, we've just only seen our town crumble. Uh, and, and just even locally, uh, kids are depressed. The, the Portlander uh, kids, there's a high level of suicide rate even locally here. Uh, you know, Babylon B always finds humor in just about everything. Uh, this was out last week. Aliens report no intelligent life on earth after landing in Portland. <laughs> Oregon and Portland's kind of the tip of the spear at these things. The Pentagon's UFO unit has been the spotlight recently and now a department confirming that alien life has attempted to make contact with human civilization. Unfortunately, the aliens landed in Portland after a brief period of observation. They returned to their home planet to tell overlords that there is no intelligent life on earth. Um, now this, for you guys that are out there in the internet, this is called satire, this is not real, I'm not. Uh, Brett said aliens landed in Portland. No, it's a Babylon Bee article. But uh, yes, the world is in trouble, and it is a uh, sort of doom and gloom. That's the truth of the matter. That's, that's one of the truths that people, maybe I think our younger generation are sensing that. Um, and, and, and at the same time, I, I sense in our younger generation that some of them are looking for the answers. And could it be um, that the younger generation is ripe for the harvest, to, to to hear the good news of the gospel. If you haven't had a chance to see the Jesus Revolution movie yet, it's, it's a great movie. It, it actually is kind of funny because um, in some ways, Aether Creek's indirectly, we're, we're sort of a grandchild of the Chuck Smith through the Bible. They didn't really show the through the Bible piece in the movie, but um, Chuck, after you know, Lonnie Frisbee moved, Chuck, uh, the movement was booming. And what grounded the, the, the movement of the Jesus movement? They didn't really talk about this in the movie, but the grounding of it was they started going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book through the Bible and um, and really started the, the whole Calvary Chapel movement. Now, sadly, the Calvary Chapel movement has sort of scattered and splintered, and they're very different one from another now. Um, we're not a Calvary. We never have been a Calvary Chapel. I've, I, don't, I don't, didn't know Chuck Smith personally, but, um, but I was part of that. When I was 10, 10, 11 years old, I started seeing a lot of that. If you've seen the movie, my parents were the ones dressed nice in the church and then the hippies started coming in and um, that was my parents. And But my parents were the ones who embraced them and loved on them and accepted them and had them in our house, uh, Bible studies and what have you. That really, it kind of tells, you uh, know, in, in a certain way as a kid, that's the way I grew up with that whole Jesus movement and got uh, the, the, um, the desire to teach the Bible from that. But it really was quite a revival. It's funny how people talk about revivals today and we'll, you know, we'll see about the Asbury revival and I know we could spend a whole time talking about that tonight if we wanted to. Um, but, um, but at the same time, uh, I think time will tell if it's a real revival. Uh, uh, that that's, has a way of shaking out whether it's a real revival or not, but the Jesus movement was the biggest revival, I think, in our lifetimes. Um, there's some other ones we could talk about, the Azusa Street revival, other revivals that have happened throughout uh, history, but, but this was a big one, the Jesus movement, and I, I do feel like we are, in fact, ripe. If, if the second coming of Christ doesn't come first, we are uh, ripe for a new revival uh, and that could change a lot um, even as it did in the 60s and uh, the 70s. Um, so I do pray, I still pray for revival, but be that as it may, um, one of the things you have to remember, uh, what do we tell these young people that are um, thinking, man, the world's you know, falling apart and everything's horrible and the world's gonna be destroyed and all this stuff. Well, you gotta give them the hope of the gospel. Uh, and um, if you're not really clear on that, maybe you're here and you're kind of like, well, what is, how do I present that? Um, well, uh, let me give you a really fast, uh, quick version of it, because uh, it's so important for all of us to have this down. You might even jot these in your notes. I call this the Romans road, and maybe you've heard of that before. But uh, it, the Romans road kind of leads you down what you need to know. The first thing you need to know is Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's, that's just a given. There's no one in this, world that's righteous, not even one, Romans goes on to say, we're all sinners. Um, and then the Bible tells in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That's, that's just not kicking the bucket, that's death and hell, eternal death and hell. Um, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then you go to uh, Romans five eight, but God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So uh, we're of all sin; we all come fall short. The wages of sin is death. But good news: while we were yet sinners, right in the middle of our worst sin, Christ died for us, saving us from our sins. And then you get to uh, Romans ten thirteen: For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a glorious truth that is! The name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The you know, there's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. The scriptures say. And then that classic scripture of how you accept Christ, how do you become a believer? This, by the way, implies repentance, something we can't uh, forget. You gotta have repentance. Uh, and so with repentance, that means confession, confessing uh, that you need to be saved, um, acknowledging your sin, and then by that, you confess. If you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And um, so this is the message. It's so simple. Uh, The message is we're sinners. Sin equals death and hell, but good news. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How do you do that? Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart, Jesus, that he died, that he rose from the grave. And by accepting that, the Bible says, um, you will be saved. Verse nine ends with that. Uh, With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Some people try to say, can you just say a prayer and be saved? And they they imply, no, there's gotta be works. And whenever you say that, you start getting into some really tough territory. Don't get me wrong, salvation will show good works. That's part of the deal. Um, uh, If you're saved, you're gonna see a a movement in your life to, to good works. But good works is not what saves you. We can't get that backwards. People get that twisted and messed up. But then once you become a Christian, when you're saved, then it becomes all about setting your mind on things above, being heavenly minded, thinking about what we have in our future, what we have to look forward to. And suddenly the depressed person can become filled with joy knowing that it's not about this life and the hope of heaven and that's what these prophecy updates I hope that if we have fruit of the prophecy updates is that part of it is that we we realize wow look what the lord is orchestrating right now that we see the bible tells us is of the of the last days and it, it and what what should it make us do build bunkers No, Uh, if you wanna build a bunker, you can. But I don't see why I'm gonna build a bunker. I'm gonna actually do what the Bible says. And this is my favorite, one of my favorite uh, scriptures, Luke 21, 28. It says, and when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. There in Luke 21, Jesus is talking about the last days, the end of the world. When you start to see this stuff start to come to pass, um, what are you supposed to do? Look up. Uh, the movie, by the way, that was referenced on that little video that I just showed you of Doomerism uh, is a movie called Don't Look Up about climate change. Um, and that's what, that's what our, they're telling our kids now, don't look up. But the Bible says, eh, no, uh, look up. And lift up your heads for your redemption draws nigh. That's the goal of Prophecy Updates is to keep our eyes on Jesus, to have the hope of heaven and to have joy in our hearts. I hope that's the results of, uh, of studying Bible prophecy. If it, if it uh, puts fear in your heart, we've done it wrong. Um, either I've presented it wrong or you're hearing it wrong. Uh, And we have to do a check on that. If if it's fearful or if it troubles you, man, we're we're doing it wrong. Uh, The the answer is Jesus even said it is, you know, all of that discord. You know, see that you be not troubled um, by these things. That's that's our responsibility. So anyway, there it is. Uh, I'd like to take a look at a bunch of the things going on in the world. And oftentimes we like to start, of course, with Israel as Israel is the centerpiece of Bible prophecy. Um, and it, there's a lot going on in Israel. And it's funny with so much of the other news, trains derailing and um, you, know, uh, you know, drag queen shows, these very important pieces of news, although they do, they do fit into the end times uh, uh, issues, of course. But uh, I've noticed that sometimes these are little distractions from kind of big things that are happening in the world while we're watching other news uh, we, we kind of miss. And I wanted to make sure we're um, up to date on Israel. That, that uh, Any Bible prophecy student should be uh, uh, praying for Israel and, and uh, caring about what's happening in Israel. We're told in Psalm 122, six, pray for the peace of Jerusalem for they shall prosper that love thee. People who love Jerusalem will prosper if you're praying for them. Um, that, that's an amazing promise of the word. I hope you're a, a person who commits to prayer the peace of Jerusalem. What, what's gonna bring peace in Jerusalem, anybody? The second coming of Christ. And, and until then, there really won't be peace uh, in Jerusalem. So when we pray this, what are we actually praying for? The second coming, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because that's where the peace of Jerusalem will be realized when Christ comes and rules and reigns. That's Psalm 122.6. Of course, Genesis 12.3 reminds us, I will bless them that bless thee, Abraham and his descendants, Israel, and curse him that curses thee. Um, This is a rule of the Bible. And um, we talked a few weeks ago about the judgment of the sheep and the goats. Uh, and what that means, but it has to do with how um, the the nations would treat Israel and the Jews and what have you. So what's going on in Israel? Um, There's probably the biggest thing that we should know is that, um, and and I've been talking about this in our Prophecy Updates for a long, long time now. Um, You know, the the potential war that is uh, seemingly ready to burst at any moment between Israel and Iran. Now, uh, you Bible students know the Ezekiel war that's talked about in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Um, that's a more intricate discussion about Gog, Magog and the various confederation of nations that are gonna come against Israel. Um, and that's yet to happen. And the big question you know, we all have is, uh, you know, Iran is part of that confederation of nations. Will Israel go to, go to war with Iran and then will those other nations join in? And right now, if you know the way it's all situated, all of those nations, for the most part, I shouldn't say all, you know, Turkey's a a bit of a question mark. Um, In fact, Israel and Turkey have had some interesting cooperation in the last few weeks with this uh, earthquake uh, that happened there, uh, tilling over 40,000 people, horrible, horrible earthquake uh, in Turkey. And the Israelis were the first ones there uh, with their technology rescuing people from piles and debris. and, uh, you know, the Jews have, are, have always been kind of at the cutting edge of rescue in the Middle East and stuff like that. But, um, you know, uh, the, the main players would be Russia, Iran, Turkey, and then there's some other, uh, you know, nations that are gonna be involved in that Ezekiel War. We've done whole studies on the Ezekiel 38 Gog-Bagog War. And you say, well, what does that have to do with today? Well, uh, there's a lot of stirring right now, and, um, and a lot of people are worried that Israel's gonna attack Iran within the next few even possibly days, uh, and um, you know that you say well, Brett, they already have been well, well let 's talk about that Yahoo News uh, uh, along with a bunch of others. you can find this anywhere, um, just uh, yesterday, um, Israel and Iran edge closer to war but experts say conflict isn't inevitable. Um, the experts say conflict isn't inevitable. The Bible says it is. That's, that's a little correction to that headline. That's why I use this Yahoo News one. Um, uh, the Bible says it's inevitable that Iran is going to um, uh, go to war with Israel. And it's eventually gonna be that confederation of Russia Iran. Isn't it interesting to see how Russia and Iran are supporting each other with this Ukrainian issue? Um, and we'll show you some of that here in a minute too. But um, in this article, a top Pentagon official testified earlier this week that Tehran, Tehran has made remarkable progress in their enriching uranium that could be used for a nuclear weapon. Um, which, uh, you gotta understand, the Jews cannot afford, and I, I don't wanna, you know, g- go over stuff I've gone over before, but just really quickly, uh, the, the, um, Iranians and the, uh, since the Islamic Revolution there in Iran, they've wanted to see the destruction of Israel, and they've been very clear about that. Um, And that's why they're, you know, trying so hard to to get to a nuclear weapon. And they've been saying they wanna blow Israel into the sea, um, you know, deal with the little Satan, and later they'll deal with the great Satan, which is the United States, Um, Iran. Uh, could be approaching capacity to man- manufacture a nuclear weapon. A, top, a Pentagon official testified earlier this week that Tehran made remarkable progress and could be within 12 days of enriching uh, sufficient uranium for a nuclear weapon. Um, last week, UN nuclear watchdog said it was discussing the results of a re- recent verification of activities in Iran after Bloomberg News reported that the agency had detected uranium enriched to 84% uh, purity, which is close to weapons grade. Weapons grade uranium is 90%. So they're at 84. Now, um, that's the American uh, you know, intelligence. And lately I haven't really noticed that Americans have been very intelligent, if you know what I'm saying. Um, if you really wanna know what's going on, you kinda need to check in with the Israeli Mossad because the Mossad is very much the best intelligent agency, and you know they, their lives depend on it. Uh, people forget Israel's the size of New Jersey. If Iran gets bombs that can reach, um, you know, Tel Aviv, Jerusalem, uh, they cease to exist as a nation. Like it could just be snuffed out. Um, you know, something we Americans don't even imagine. <clears throat> because if one of our cities or five of our cities were destroyed, all the other cities would be really ticked off. And it's a little bit like what happened in Pearl Harbor when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. Uh, you know, they said, oh, I think we've just, all we've done is awakened a sleeping giant. Well, that's true of the United States, but Israel is not the giant. It's the David, uh, not the Goliath. And, um, and, you know, there's a survival issue. Um, and the Jews, have they ever been through that before where people have tried to exterminate them? <laughs> yes. And so the Israeli military has what they kind of call the Samson option in their military, where um, they will go, they'll remember when Samson finally you know, died, he said, if I'm gonna die, I'm gonna take everybody with me. Um, and that's the, that's the mentality that their military actually talks about that story. In fact, when you're sworn in as an IDF soldier on the top of Masada there, um, they, they talk about never again, you know, uh, the Holocaust, never again. We will all die. That's one of the reasons they go to Masada because remember the Jews all died before the Romans came and took that mountaintop there at Masada. It's kind of a whole nother story. But, but um, now the Masada claims that, uh, uh, and, and some of the other experts are saying the Pentagon's, ba- they're not caught up to the times. Most people suspect the Iranians already have weapons-grade uranium, 90%. And, uh, and you say, well, what's, what's keeping the Jews uh, from, you know, dealing with that? Well, uh, that's, that's the, the big question. Uh, and most people are nervous right now. Uh, in response, Israel has been preparing for an intervention to stop what, um, you know, um, many Western, you know, nations, uh, we, we sort of believe it to be a disastrous development that should be prevented at all costs. That is a, a war to uh, wipe out the Iranian nuclear facilities. Now, they have several of these facilities. Um, and in fact, uh, you know, uh, there's the, the, big, the big ones uh, are underground. And the Mossad, even uh, Netanyahu stood before the UN. And articulated where these weapons are held. It's it's kind of funny because the Israelis are not afraid to say we know where everything is, and the Iranians are like, what are you talking about? We don't have anything there. Um, but if you look at some of the maps, like this one, this shows where some of their main um, you know plants, nuclear plants are, and uh, you know. Uh, but the the ones that are uh, most noted by the the Mossad is Fordow, um Isfahan and uh, Natanz. Uh, these are the the facilities that are all heavily fortified, um, and to effectively disrupt the work the Iranians are doing with nuclear grade pluton- or uh, you know weapons um, would take some pretty huge weaponry on the Israeli side, Uh, bunker buster type bombs, which they have. The Israelis have an interesting thing with the bunker busters though. They don't have a great way to deliver bunker busters, which is interesting, but they do have, uh, you know, uh, F-35s, F-15s, and they've been figuring out how to use their their current weaponry to unleash immensely powerful weapons against these uh, sort of underground facilities. Um, the, the Iranians just showed uh, they have an under underground kind of airport um, that are housing their fighter jets. Uh, whether that's true or not, uh, there's questions about that. But basically, Iran was, uh, basically, if Iran finally uh, manufactures enough weapon-grade uranium to put a nuclear warhead on a ballistic missile, it would uh, really um, change the whole... Uh, uh, Um, geopolitical situation in the Middle East. Once the Iranians get that, all of the Middle East is in big trouble. The Saudis are freaked out. The Jews are gonna say, no, we can't allow that. Um, but then then everybody kind of has to land on what are they gonna, what, what are they gonna do? And, and it's gonna be interesting because remember in the Gog, Magog invasion, there's gonna be some nations that are bystanders saying, you shouldn't do that, but they're, you know, you shouldn't be attacking Israel, but they're not gonna intervene. Israel's gonna be kind of on her own. Right now, Israel is largely on her own. The United States, we still sort of have a loose tie and we still sort of claim we're friends of Israel, but the Israelis do not trust the West to come to the rescue. Um, and so no country would feel the threat more deeply than Israel if the Iranians uh, uh, you know, got a nuclear weapon. So the newly reinstated Benjamin Netanyahu um, he is uh, speaking to a Jewish group. Uh, he said this actually way back in 2006, and he's been str- uh, strumming this song for a long time. Benjamin Natia was he was back uh, in 2006. He was the prime minister as well. He explicitly had tied the genocide that gave rise to Israel in the 20th century to the greatest threat Israel's faced in the 21st. And he, he claims it's 1938, and Iran is Germany, and Iran is racing to arm itself with atomic bombs. Um, Netanyahu tries to put it as simply as he can so that the world will hear the problem that the Israelis are facing. But it's amazing how many people don't um, actually listen. Which fills uh, in the places that the Bible talks about, how the Jews are gonna be more and more despised and hated as we get closer to the end. And that's part of what we need to be watching, how the nations are responding or not responding to the Jews, it is interesting because the Jews are just really uh, trying to survive right now. Um, and the world paints it like they're the, they're the Goliath and all the little Arab nations are the Davids. That's the way the news portrays the uh, Arab-Israeli conflict. Um, um, but the Jews are just doing what they have to do to survive. For example, you're, you, you constantly hear about um, you know, the Jews bombing Damascus. Um, even February 20th, just, uh, just uh, what was that? Just um, 10 days ago or so, um, the, the Jews bombed there in Damascus. This is a picture of a man who's checking out the damage from an Israeli missile attack inside a, the um, a historic citadel in Damascus uh, that happened on February 20th. You say, well, why are the Jews bombing in Damascus? Are they at war with Syria? Well, it's not that they're at war with Syria. The Iranians um, with the... Um, the Russians, they're right on the northern border of Israel, and they continue to pile stockpile weapons. And they have all kinds of weapons that they're stockpiling. Um, I'll show you some of those weapons here in a second. But um, but um, Israel's defense minister, Eli Cohen, recently said uh, the day after this attack, um, he said, if the United States does not establish a, critical, a credible military threat immediately, either Israel will attack or Iran will have nuclear weapons. Which we will not allow under any circumstances. Um, interesting guy. His name's Eli Cohen. They're defense minister today. Uh, there's another guy that uh, was Eli Cohen was a spy in Syria. If you've ever uh, want to, if you ever want to read an interesting true spy story, read the little book called um, "Our Man from Damascus." or in Damascus, anybody remember? Our Man in Damascus, the story of Ellie Cohen. Not this guy, but same name. Um, Great story. How many of you guys have read that story or maybe seen the movie? Anybody? Oh man, you guys are missing out. Uh, I wouldn't recommend the movie because it's really good right up until they go kind of crazy with nudity and stuff like that. Um, But uh, the the book is actually better anyway. So Our Man from Damascus, uh, the story of Ellie Cohen. You gotta read it. But anyway, this Elico and the defense minister, he recently was basically saying, if the United States doesn't get on the ball and start helping, um, and then either, I, either the Israelis are gonna have to unilaterally attack Iran, or Iran's gonna have a nuclear missile, which the world can't afford. Um, some, some people in the world are trying to dismiss um, you know, Netanyahu's tactical arguments as just bluster. Um, but, uh, you know, this, these most recent attempts, uh, even the rest of the world is starting to say, yeah, we're, we're worried about what's going on. So, you know, we see a lot of the back and forth between Iran and Israel. They're not at war officially, but they're kind of at war already, uh, if you've been watching. So when, when the Israelis bomb Damascus, they're bombing Iranians up there. Um, and then the Iranians, they do their thing. For example, um, after um, CIA, de- de- CIA Director William J. Burns uh, arrived in Jerusalem late last month, um, Israel launched a devastating drone attack on military depot in the Iranian city of uh, Isfahan. Um, uh, in fact, this is a picture of that. Uh, somebody had their iPhone out when they were recording the explosion that took place at this um, this uh, military depot. And, uh, you know, the Jews didn't say it was them, but people pretty much know it was Israeli drones that came in. Um, so they, you know, they saw this, this was on, what, well, was January 29th when this happened. Um, so Iran sort of tried to retaliate uh, weakly, but they did by attacking an Israeli tanker in the Arabian Sea uh, with a kamikaze drone. And um, this... Um, this tanker uh, was Israeli owned, and it was a little drone that had some explosive, but didn't really do any that much damage. Um, but then after that, the Israelis then attacked, uh, uh, launched a deadly airstrike again in Damascus, February twenty-second, um, uh, just a, just a few days a few days ago. Uh, this is a picture uh, of um, um, you know people recovering the debris. But uh, the, the basically, the Jews claimed that they, there were a bunch of Iranian military experts that were there conducting meetings. And so the Israelis attacked. Um, and that after the attack of Isfahan, Islam, Islamic Revolution guards unveiled new ballistic missile uh, that had Hebrew Riding on it. In fact, um, uh, maybe you saw this article, The Times of Israel. Iran displays ballistic missile with death to Israel written in Hebrew. Um, uh, the Islamic Revolutionary Guards uh, uh, displayed this. They're not sure if it was a real missile. Some of these guys put out these missiles trying to make them look real, um, uh, but they may or may not be. They're not sure. But the Hebrew script running down the side said death to Israel. So the big question in 2023 as we're Bible students watching uh, Israel and Iran sort of, you know, uh, they're not officially at war, but they kind of are. And uh, this, this, is, this is one of those things where I feel like a lot of us prophecy observers are kind of numbed to the fact that Israel and Iran are kind of at war already. Uh, there's almost nothing that needs to happen to just kick that into full steam ahead in a full-blown war Israel versus Iran. And uh, that is something that the Bible does talk a lot about. Um, By the way, there's a separate prophecy that I always like to remind us of is the Isaiah 17 prophecy, which is the destruction of Damascus. Um, The the city there in Syria is gonna be leveled um, where nobody's gonna dwell there anymore. Uh, The interesting thing about Damascus, it's the oldest city in the world. It's never been destroyed to the point where no one lives there anymore. So that Isaiah 17 prophecy hasn't happened yet, which to me means it's in the future. Israel has threatened to level Damascus because they're, you know, the the Syrians, even the Syrians are such a mess right now. They don't have much say in anything. Uh, the Russians are more in control, it really of Syria than the Syrians are but the Russians are allowing the Iranians to uh, set up shop in Damascus. And that's why the Jews continue to bomb Damascus over and over again. Like that picture I just showed you, Uh, that's common. But Israel has said, if one of those missiles come across our border from Damascus, they've promised that they will make Damascus a parking lot. Um, And Damascus is a big city. It's the oldest city in the world. And so the question in 2023 is whether Uh, Reality is about to catch up with the rhetoric. There's been rhetoric about this for, uh, I've been talking about Israel going to war with Iran for, you know, a long time, over a decade. Um, But everybody right now is biting their nails. The experts that know are really concerned that it could even be this week, who knows? Uh, But it is interesting to keep your eye on that, watching to see what's going to happen. While they have certainly not encouraged Israeli strike on Iran, some European leaders and American legislators appear to accept that a full-blown clash is likely, and is coming. You'll see that. So meanwhile, back at the ranch in Tehran, um, you know, the Iranians uh, are um, constantly threatening Israel, constantly threatening the United States. Um, But Iran is engaging what National Security Council spokesman John Kirby described last week as unprecedented uh, defense cooperation with Russia. Just last week, our uh, National Security Council spokesman, John Kirby, um, you say, well, what does that have to do with anything? The Gog-Magog war is Russia and Iran cooperating, uh, ultimately to go and attack Israel. So this is something we should keep our eyes on, the uh, Ayatollah working with Putin. Um, Kirby told reporters that Iran is seeking billions of dollars worth of military equipment from Russia, including fighter jets, in exchange for providing the Kremlin with um, uh, several things. The Shaheed 136 drones. Do you guys know what those are? The Iranians have these Shahid 136 drones. Um, It's an interesting drone. The precision of Iranian-made suicide UAVs combined with their cheapness. They're they're, they're actually not super high-tech, but they are loaded with um, explosives and they have proven to sort of work. Um, has basically turned them into what uh, the world is kind of viewed as a uh, affordable, but potent weapon. And they're using these in the battlefield in Ukraine as we speak. The Russians are using Iranian drones um, and, uh, and they're also using, the, the, um, the Iranians are giving Russia, you say, now why do the Russians need anything? Well, the Russians, there's, there's debate on this. Are the Russians using their their big guns yet? Have they used their full-blown military yet? A lot of experts are saying Russia, Putin's just kind of throwing all the expendables. They're prisoners and they're ill-trained and the death toll is rising, it's it's, uh, no question about that. But the experts are saying we haven't even begun to see Russia's technology. Meanwhile, the world is sort of being lulled into this. Oh, look at Russia! What a failure! They don't. Even, they can't even. You know, in a year, they can't even do. You know, conquer the Ukrainian. Uh, you know, forces. Um, but but have you noticed the amount of dollars the West is putting into the Ukrainians? And again, I'm staying out of this Ukrainian Russia argument, and I'll tell you why. There's three really corrupt uh, agencies involved in the Russian Ukrainian war. Um, The big ones are, the first one is the Ukrainians, corrupt government, very corrupt. And then the second group is the Russian government, very corrupt, uh, horrible. The, The worst one of all is probably the United States which is the worst of corruption right now. So if you're Ukrainian and you're mad at me and you didn't hear what I just said, rewind and listen to that again. Because I get that from, Brad, you're saying the Ukrainians are corrupt. Yes, they are. And so are the Russians and so are the United States. Uh, as it turns out, humanity is very corrupt. But but, um, but my point is, um, war is so ugly. And what's happening, You know, we need to be praying for... Uh, um, so many people. We need to pray for the Ukrainians. I mean, the death toll is rising. Uh, it's heartbreaking what's going on. Um, but at the same time, uh, it's all about human corruption. And it's, and it's, uh, it's really kind of sad. NATO, we could get into NATO and the alliance and what NATO has done, um, but we won't get into all that tonight. Um, but basically you say, well, why would the uh, Iranians provide Russia with these sort of cheap... Drones. uh, Well, the answer is because they're sort of potent on these short-range missions that the Russians are using them for, and some would say because the Russians don't want to use their own more high-tech weapons at this point. Who knows? We'll see. But the second uh, thing the Iranians are giving is the Fatah 110 surface-to-surface. Um, missiles um, and these these are they've been around for a while. They're not like new technology, but they did prove effective. If you remember the Iran Iraq War back in the eighties, um, that's when they sort of invented these big rockets um, launched by these huge trucks, and uh, they have proven effective as uh, as uh, sort of shorter uh, range um, weapons that carry quite a powerful punch. Um, so the, um, they, they're giving Russia some of these trucks with these missiles. <clears throat> in 2020, the Ayatollah Ali Khomeini, the country's top cleric, deemed Israel a cancerous tumor <clears throat> that needs to be destroyed um, and echoing the rhetoric, rhetoric that really hasn't changed since the founding of the Islamic Republic in 1979. Um the, the, the that's why these missiles these missiles don't really reach from Iran to Tel Aviv or to Jerusalem. And if they did, these missiles are slow enough to where the um I think the Iron Dome can get these rockets. So that's why these are kind of not effective. That's why the Iranians are like, Whatever, get rid of these. Um give these to the Russians, uh so that we can um so that we could get real weapons that will reach Israel. That's their goal. So uh, they're giving up those. Uh, The Russians are giving um, uh, some anti-aircraft type stuff to the Iranians because they're, you know, everybody's worried the Israelis are going to come and bomb. In fact, this Bloomberg article Israel's window to strike Iran narrows as Putin enter, enters the equation. Um, this article in Bloomberg it says Iran is seeking sophisticated new air defense systems from Russia that Israeli officials believe will narrow the window for a potential strike on Tehran's nuclear program, according to people familiar with the matter the prospect of Iran getting these systems, the S-400s would accelerate a decision on a possible attack. People in Israel and the United States um, with knowledge of the discussions said. So um, this, uh, the, um, the interesting thing about this is the, um, these S-400 systems would suddenly make it really hard for Israel, especially to get the heavy weapon I told you they need to get in to get into these um, bunkers that are underground where they're putting together nuclear weapons. So that's, the thing, that's why there's a, a great urgency right now. Um, and everybody's watching Israel. What are they gonna do in the next few weeks with Iran? Because the window is closing as this article uh, points out. Um, with all that said, meanwhile, back in Jerusalem and in Israel, one of the things we're seeing is the terrorism. We haven't seen local terrorism in Jerusalem for quite a while. It's been very peaceful in Jerusalem, largely because they built a wall. Sound familiar? A wall. Uh, people say it doesn't help security. Well, it sure did for a long time for Israel. Um, but what's happening is uh, terror attacks are happening with cars and with stuff that you can get past a wall. There's no, when, when I went to Israel back in, uh, Debbie and I were in, uh, in 1996, We were there in Israel during one of the Intifada Wars and um, we could feel the repercussion of bombs going off um, many, many miles away, but you could kind of feel them. Remember when we were up in Deb, we were, uh, where were we at Nimrod's Castle? We were up there hanging out and um, there was bombs going off uh, with Israel and Hezbollah uh, in Lebanon. And you could actually feel the repercussion of these bombs going off. but, um, but uh, you know, also uh, when we were there, a bus blew up in Jerusalem. Remember, bus nineteen blew up uh, there uh, in uh, on Ben uh, Ben Yehuda Street uh, in Jerusalem when we were there. Um, but after that, that Intifada war, um, they you know they really built the wall, and Israel's been largely secure. But now uh, there's terrorist attacks of people uh, wielding knives or running their car through um, bus stops. That's what happened here. The I-24, Israel 24 news, two murdered, multiple wounded in Jerusalem, car ramming terror attack. A six year old child and a man in his twenties <clears throat> were killed by this car ramming terrorist attack at the entrance of Israeli neighborhood of Ramot in uh, East Jerusalem. Uh, um, the, the, you know, it's interesting because uh, there's been a bunch of terror attacks, little little things here and there. An American was killed. That's a, real, a rare thing. Um, you might say, Brett, why, doesn't they, why don't they just blow up like an American tour bus in Israel? Well, first of all, they can't do that as much anymore. But remember when they were blowing up buses, they weren't blowing up American tour buses. They were blowing up Jerusalem city buses. You say, Brett, why... Were they not? It seems to me that if they blew up an American bus, that would make a real statement. Does anybody know why the terrorists don't blow up the American tour buses in Jerusalem? It's their economy, terrorism. Uh, terrorism would destroy um, tourism. <laughs> uh, did you know the Arabs make uh, money off of tourism as well? And if, if, uh, if an American bus blows up, then suddenly you know, they'll be out of money. Uh, and that's kind of an interesting part of it, part of it. Um, uh, but that's one of the reasons you don't see uh, American buses or whatever blown up during the Intifada Wars and what have you. Uh, you're, you're saying, Brett, uh, you're making us nervous to go, well, if you live in Portland, we're, we're improving by going to Jerusalem. I'm just gonna say, uh, your odds of being shot in Portland are way higher than being killed in Jerusalem. Um, that's the truth, look at the statistics. Um, but um, there was an American uh, that was killed near Jericho. Now I've been to Jericho a few times. We don't bring our tour groups there because it's uh, Arab run town. Uh, I, I have gone there to see the walls of Jericho. They archeologically dug them up, it's kinda cool. But you kinda need to have an Arab with you uh, if you're gonna go to uh, to Jericho. It's, it's a little safer if you have an a Arab guy with you, which I did. But this guy, Elon uh, Ganelis, was uh, murdered there. Uh, what was that? Was it last Monday, I think, um, there in Jericho. Uh, and, um, and then the, the Israeli, the IDF, uh, said, we're gonna find the, the guys who killed this American guy. He, the American guy there, I think, was there for like a wedding or something. Um, and, um, so the Israelis did an operation, and then this is kind of interesting. You, you almost wonder if the Israelis published this on purpose. This is the, um, like satellite footage of, um, of the Israelis attacking this compound and getting these suspects. And they actually got the two murderers of this American uh, and uh, kind of raided this compound and found a bunch of other terrorists, of, as it turns out, uh, living here in this compound. But this is kind of interesting footing, footage. That these The Israelis have such high tech stuff. It's, it's amazing to see how the IDF rolls, but you can see the, all these guys coming out of this compound and the Israelis apprehending them uh, and what have you. Um, but this is what's going on. I mean, there, there's, there's more and more uh, stirring up just local terrorism there in Jerusalem as well. Uh, you say, Brett, should we not do our tour uh, this year? Uh, uh, there's bad news and good news. The bad news is terrorism is there. The good news is maybe we'll have a little more room at the places to visit. Uh, they won't be quite as crowded. Uh, that, that's, I know it's crass to say that, but it um, but it is a benefit. Uh, I, when we used to go during the Intifada Wars, uh, we sometimes were the only bus at like, Capernaum uh, visiting as a, as a tour group. Now there's 30 buses or 50 buses there uh, and it's elbow to elbow people, so it's a little different now. But uh, along with what's going on in Jerusalem and Israel, then you kind of have to look at what's going on around the world. I need to, one of the things we have to watch because of the end times, the Bible talks about there's going to be a hatred for the Jews. Uh, we call that uh, modern day, we call that antisemitism, hatred of the Jews. And antisemitism is in fact on the rise in, in exponential levels right now. Um, are you guys watching this? See what's going on around the world? The, you know, um, the, you, you, one of the things that, you know, that um, is probably the most prophetic part of the Ukrainian-Russia conflict, um, the most biblically prophetic part of that is uh, more than 15,000 Ukrainian Jews have moved to Israel. Uh, it's just more and more Jews are piling into the nation Israel because um, the Jews like the Zionist movement of Theodore Herzl and those guys, Ben Yehuda, and that era of the Jews moving, um, uh, like those days, the Jews are again saying there's no safe place on earth for the Jews. And that's why they are saying we need to live in Israel, our own homeland, where we can be protected. Um, there was an interesting um, interview that caught my attention. The director, uh, Steven Spielberg, maybe you heard of him, a Jewish guy. Um, who, uh, you, know, uh, you know, he just, I think he's an uh, Oscar-nominated film, The Fablemans, I don't know anything about that movie, but basically de- depicts the, the racial abuse that he faced as a Jew in the 60s. So it'll be interesting to see how that movie does and whether it's worth seeing or not. But... Um, but he, he um, one of the reasons he sh- he, he made the movie about that is because of this. And here's uh, here's the the Colbert. I know we all know and love this guy. Um, that's a joke for you that are online. I was joking um, about that. Um, so it, uh, here, this is an interesting statement uh, from Steven Spielberg. Do
1: you find it surprising the rise of public anti-semitism, not only in the United States, but in authoritarian countries all around the world now? I find it very, very surprising because anti-semitism has always been there. It's it's either been just around the corner and slightly out of sight, but always lurking, or it has been much more overt, like in Germany in the 30s. Um, But not since Germany in the 30s have I witnessed anti-Semitism no longer lurking but standing proud with hands on hips like Hitler and Mussolini uh, uh, kind of daring us to defy it I've never experienced this in my entire life Have especially you- in this country
0: See, that's the thing. We're seeing anti-Semitism in America on the rise exponentially. And it's it's all part of this narrative. You know, um, the world is gonna attack and, and really come against Israel. That's the battle of Armageddon. The nations of the world are ultimately gonna wanna kill Jews. Um, And um, that's gonna be ultimately what Antichrist will be all about. If you read Daniel's story about the Antichrist, he's gonna sort of be a poser, come in, make a peace treaty with the Jews in Israel, but it'll be a pseudo treaty that will only last uh short term and eventually uh it'll all be about hating Jews and anti-Semitism. And so the the reason that's important to us, even though we're gonna be raptured before the tribulation, we still uh need to see what's 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 the temper temperature around the world as it, as it relates to anti semitism. It's ramping up exponentially. Um and and Spielberg even said shockingly even in the United States. Speaking of the United States, let's talk about that in uh, Bible prophecy. Um, Where is the United States in Bible prophecy? (laughs) It's shockingly absent. Um, And it's amazing because most other nations in the world, especially superpowers, are mentioned in some way, shape, or form. But the United States is, is strikingly absent. And if you're gonna make a case, the strongest case for maybe the United States Uh, might be, and I wouldn't even die on this battlefield, Ezekiel 38, verse 13. Um, You know, where is the United States in Bible prophecy? The answer is kind of nowhere to be found with maybe that exception, Ezekiel 38, 13. Remember um, when the nations uh, in the Gog-Magog war, the Ezekiel war that we talked about, when all those nations come, um, it says here in verse 13 of Ezekiel 38, Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, with all the young lions thereof, shall say unto thee, Thou art come. To, uh, art thou come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey, to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, to take great spoil? Um, you know, basically these are nations that are just standing by, sort of arguing. I always call these the um, the. Um, uh, protest, what do I call them? Yeah, yeah, these guys are wagging their fingers, you know, saying, you guys shouldn't be attacking, you know, Israel, uh, you know, or Israel shouldn't be attacking, being attacked. Naughty, you know, that's bad for you. But we're not gonna come to their rescue. That's, that's the point, these nations. You say, well, how's the United States in there? Well, you have to do a little fancy dancing. It's, it's argued that the merchants of Tarshish, with all of its villages um, that are mentioned here, it refers to the colonies of Western Europe. That's what some people argue. And the nations that have sub- subsequently risen from them, which would include not just the United States, but North America and the United States. Um, so the response of the in- invasion of Gog Magog into Israel, um, you know, they, they would say, maybe we're the ones who were say, what are you guys doing? Have you come here to take a spoil from Israel? By the way, is there a spoil to be taken from Israel? That's another thing to be watching right now. Israel is becoming an economic superpower more than even last time I talked about this. Um, their natural gas that they have uh, procured, back when they were drilling that in the, in the Mediterranean, the oil uh, rigs and what have you, the gas rigs, um, the world was like, why are you doing that? What a waste, nobody's gonna wanna buy your oil. Um, but with the whole thing that's happened with the uh, Russian Ukrainian war Europe need they need gas they need natural gas and so now the world is lining up for gas from Israel and Israel's getting very rich off of that gas that they've been um you know collecting uh, and and, uh, and and so when you just take the spoil you might just take the SP off of there and say oil have you come to take some oil or some natural gas um because that might just be the part of the hook that draws Russia, Iran, Turkey, and the other nations down into Israel to take a spoil. But there will be protesting bystanders standing by there going, you guys, what are you doing attacking Israel? Have you come to take a spoil? But that's all that we will do. So what this means is the United States, we're gonna be impotent, we're gonna be um, not a a factor in the end times, it seems. So the question is, what happens to the United States? Um, And I've always said, who knows, I don't know, but I would say uh, tonight, I think we're imploding from the inside out. We're ruining our own country, and it seems like we're ruining it on purpose. Um, our leaders that are in, currently in power are purposefully trying to destroy us. Um, you know, things like how's our army doing? You know, and, and I've always been a big fan of the United States military, thankful for, for all those that serve uh, uh, this country, and I still am. But, um, but is anybody a little nervous about the direction our military has gone in the last you know, year or two? Um, I've shown you, you know, the recruiting commercials that were painful enough. Uh, The Economist, November 29th, 2022. uh, Why has America's Army recruitment plummeted? Uh, And this is an article from a while back, but it's it's plummeted even worse since November of 2029 of 2022. It's even gotten worse. But this article kind of nails it. America's Army is struggling to sign up soldiers. Recruitment in the 2022 fiscal year, which concluded on September, um, appears to have been the worst since the draft ended in 1973. The Army brought about 45,000 recruits. It uh, was aiming for 60,000. Christine Wormuth, the Secretary of the Army, has warned that barring a turnaround, members of the National Guard and Army Reserve will need to be put on active duty just to keep it going. Uh, It also may be necessary, she added, for the Army to trim its force structure, which could mean shutting down units. So in 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 a time where we should be developing our units and training units, We're shutting them down. So what's going on? Well, you know, this article says, was it the fallout from COVID um, that is the big problem? Well, um, the the article kind of says yes, because one of the least talked about things is all those that were kicked out of the Army National Guard because they didn't get the vax. Um, By the way, have you ever noticed how long it takes to get medical care today? Um, uh, If you try to get a doctor appointment now, it takes months. Uh, and, um, and, there's and and there 's shortages, and you and I always like to ask when I go to medical facilities because I spend a lot of time there no, i really don 't I'm actually am pretty healthy, but when I do talk to my doctor friends and nurses and people here at athe um, you know the word on the street is oh well there 's shortages uh, there 's you know, supply chain issues. Uh, That's the word on the street that they want to be out there that well, we're having trouble getting anesthesia, and so the anesthesiologist can't do surgery, so everything's backing up, blah, blah, blah. But as it turns out, um, a lot of our medical professionals professionals quit because of the COVID and the jab. And it's amazing uh, how many doctors and nurses did not uh, get the vax, which is interesting. Um, now this is an interesting, um, yeah, you're not supposed to clap because we'll get canceled on YouTube. Um, um, <laughs> but, um, but it's an interesting thing to watch how, f- you know, finally people are starting to kind of admit, some of them, that uh, the vax wasn't what they all claimed. It to be. Like, like it's so ridiculous, the levels. But they're not rehiring all those people. They, they should be rehiring them with back pay and a medal. Uh, you know, get them back into the military service, get them back into the hospitals. And, but, but they're just basically saying, well, the reason everything, back to supply chain issues with anesthesia, and this and this, and, and it's really, uh, it's actually a farce why medical profession is so thin. Same thing with our, um, our uh, military. Um, we could read more about this article, but another thing this article suggests, uh, they, this is how they put it, others on the right, believe that armed forces are succumbing to wokeism. This is a two-pronged assault and is taking a toll on recruiting, says Mackenzie Eaglin of the American Enterprise Institute, a think tank in Washington. The Army's mandatory COVID vaccination policy may also deter some recruits, but uh, this wokeism has made a lot of Americans aged 18 to 24, um, you know, not willing to sign, sign up. Recruitment plummets, um, and as, as, um, this current administration indoctrinates our military more and more, it seems like our young, uh, recruits are not signing up, uh, nearly as, as readily. So we have significant shortages in personnel. Um, the same thing we're seeing in a lot of places. Um, it's interesting, all the shortages. Um, you, you think, you know, I mean, just simple stuff. Uh, you know, Wendy's restaurant in, to Tualatin Wall- to shuts down like most of the time at like 5 p.m. Remember when fast food joints used to open and you could go in and eat a hamburger? This is d- hitting close to home for me. Uh, <laughs> this is when I, the tribulation is near, uh, you know, because you can't get a hamburger. Uh, and they're closed at like five and they got a sign on their drive-thru says, you know, we just don't have enough help, sorry, we're closing at five now. Um, but that's happening still. We're, like We're still having supply chain issues and all the other things. What's really going on? Man, we could talk about that a lot. But, but uh, basically uh, we're seeing the morale of our service members decline and the wokeism is, uh, is on a rampage. And that's, that's one of the things, this wokeism thing that we're watching, I wonder if this could be really one of the things that ultimately is part of the destruction of the United States of America. Um, it is interesting, people are getting sick of it. Uh, a lot. I'm glad to see people starting to speak up, and even some Christians are finally starting to say something. Uh, I remember when I was first talking about this, I felt very alone. Um, but now people are starting to talk about it. But uh, there's still a lot of wokesters out there pushing hard, uh, and powerful groups pushing wokeism. Um, you know, um, really wokeism. What a sad exchange for uh, you know Jesusism. Following Jesus Christ is the answer. You know, um, not to get sidetracked here as much, but just don't forget what Romans 1, uh, this, this passage in Romans, Paul nails it. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking, and foolish hearts were darkened. Man, that's what we're seeing right now. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds, and animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Amen. Wokeism is the epitome of this, exchanging the truth of God about creation and who we are. Male and female, did he create them? The Bible's really clear on this one, it's not even hard. Uh, the Bible makes it super clear. And they say, yeah, whatever. We don't believe in male and female anymore. Uh, so they're exchanging the truth of God and his creation for a lie. And that's just one example. Um, should men be able to com- eat, compete in women's you know, sporting events? Uh, it's just a, a, it's a goofy sort of fluid reality that, that our world is um, embracing. Anytime we switch from adhering to God's truth to clinging to this fluid reality. We can expect uh, a process of sinful soul decay. The soul of humanity will be on decline as we exchange the truth of God for a lie. And I say that because this passage says the Lord will give them over to their own lusts, which their own lusts will ultimately destroy them. So from that point of departure from God, things become progressively worse for these people in Romans chapter one, ultimately being destroyed. At the end of the chapter, the people that do this, they're gonna be destroyed. Um, And and I feel like, man, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah went through that and the United States seems to be going through that, if you ask me. Um, So their lives become a slow march uh, of deterioration from their body and their soul. I'm reminded of Romans one eighteen, the same chapter. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Boy, isn't that that's that's a good description of what's happening? This idea of suppressing the truth. Are we seeing that today, man? I've, they're knocking themselves out trying to suppress the truth. Um, but man, they're they're celebrating. Their own wokeism. Um, I, I'm not. I'm not one to boycott uh, groups very much because you know you end up not being able to do anything. I mean, you you wouldn't be able to wear anything. You wouldn't be able to eat anything. There's so many wacko organizations out there. I've just not been a big boycotter. Um, but uh, did you see this Hershey uh, ad that's coming out? Um, this Newsweek article: boycott Hershey's call over trans woman on International Women's Day promo. What's this on International Women's Day? The news, the, um, the Hershey Corporation thought it'd be great to do this commercial. Here we go, uh, hold on to your hat. Her for she is, what a, somebody was really witty there in their advertising, you know.
1: My name is Faye Johnstone. I'm the executive director of Wisdom to Action. <laughs> we can create a world where everyone is able to live in public space as their honest and authentic selves. See the woman changing how we see the future at Hershey's Canada.
0: Hershey's Canada, there you are. Um, did you see, did you see uh, that guy trying to fit in with the young girls and that? Like It's, it's horrific, uh, uh, this, this whole thing. Um, and so uh, if you want to have a Hershey's... Um, might wanna go with Giardelli's or someone else. Uh, uh, <laughs> of course, I'm sure they're doing something woke too. But anyway, I don't know. I don't know anything about them. But um, you know, some social media users have called for a boycott of Hershey products because um, there's, it's funny to hear what people are arguing about, but one of the big arguments is because it was, this was done on International Women's Day. So what did they get? A man to represent women. And you know, if, if I were a woman, which I am not, and for those of you that are wondering, um, I'd be like, why are you trying to cancel me? Why are you trying to cancel me as a woman? You know, like, like um, I think the way women are starting to feel that, um, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I, I think, um, you know, it's, it's amazing. Uh, if you listen to some of us Bible prophecy people 20 or 30 years ago, one of the things, we didn't use the language of canceling women, but if you were around Aether Creek 20 years ago, I was talking about how we will eventually, with abortion rights, like that was the first tip of the spear um, with the abortion rights issue and stuff like that. I was, we were talking about how they're gonna eventually erase women altogether. We were talking about that 20 years ago. Um, now even the ardent women's livers are like, uh, wait a minute, uh, maybe we shouldn't be on board with all this nonsense. Uh, wokeism, even the Vatican, uh, and and I'm, I'm not just picking on Catholics. There's uh, woke Protestants as well. Um, but you know, did you see this uh, article, Breitbart article? Vatican newspaper urges Catholics to fast from fossil fuels for Lent. Um, uh, just kind of more ridiculous. Um, and in fact, the Catholic Church have what they call their zero tolerance plan. Vatican Cardinal Michael Zerney. Uh, insisted Tuesday, there is no place for discussion with those who doubt or deny the climate crisis. Um, you know, denying the climate crisis. What about denying Jesus Christ? Uh, that You should be more worried about that, Mr. Uh, Michael Czerny, uh, Vatican Cardinal. Um, these people have lost their way and it's sad. Uh, so wokeism continues to, to uh, even though people are waking up to wokeism and seeing its ness. Um, it's still marching ahead. And that's something, it's gonna be interesting to see where all that goes. But but I think wokeism is one of the elements that's gonna sort of undo the strength of our nation. The further away we get from God, the more um, weak we're gonna be as a nation. I think we've demonstrated that in the last 50 years, but it's only gonna get worse. And it seems to be exponentially getting worse. The next, and and we're we're getting ready to wrap it up here, but the next thing just to quickly talk about is globalism again. And um, just wanna give you a quick update on a few things. Um, One thing for globalism to thrive, United States has to be out of the picture. Um, What is it that makes the United States difficult for the globalists? The answer, the Constitution of the United States. That's the one thing that really uh, is the burr under the saddle for those that are uh, globalists. The reason globalism, for you that are just joining us in Bible prophecy, the reason it's an important topic is because that's the system that's gonna come in place after the rapture of the church. It's gonna be a global society, a new world order, uh, a world supreme leader, the Bible talks about. There's gonna be a new world religion, a new world economy. There's gonna be a world system of buying and selling. And globalism is what's gonna, what's going to happen. Now, who's harping the harp of globalism more than just about an enemy? Well, there's a lot of big players that are making the globalism argument. One of my favorites, and I, I can't deny uh, putting, putting my favorite picture that I Photoshopped. Uh, I confess, we, we Photoshopped this. Um, but you can see why, because Dr. Evil, I mean, uh, Klaus Schwab, um, he is, um, you know, um, basically arguing for globalism. Um, and, you know, one of the things he said uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, he's always saying stuff. Last, last time I showed you a snip, so I had to do an honorary clip tonight as well. Um, try to understand him. Dr. Evils. it's hard to understand him, but you can maybe crank it up at the sound booth back here. Here's uh, Klaus Schwab just a few weeks ago. Theoretically. And I agree. Artificial intelligence, but not only artificial intelligence, <clears throat> but also the metaverse, new space technologies, and I could go on and on synthetic biology. Our life in 10 years from now will be completely different, very much affected, and who masters those technologies in some way will be the master of the world. Did you hear what he said there? Maybe I need to do a little interpretation. Uh, any interpretation for those tongues that we just heard? Interpretation, no, just kidding, uh, sorry. Um, he, he said this, that um, uh, he's, he said, you know, governments must harness AI, artificial intelligence, to become the masters of the world. That's what he said. The masters of the world. Uh, nope, this is not a James Bond movie. It's the director of the World Economic Forum, the WEF. And they're uh, globalists. Uh, you know, Bill Gates and all the others, Soros, they're all kind of linked to all these sort of people that want to go with more of a globalist sort of thing. And the, only, the biggest hurdle standing in the way of that is the United States of America. So as we see America decline it's setting the stage for what the Bible says is gonna happen at the end. So something to kind of keep in mind. Um, speaking of end times, uh, let's talk tech just for a second. Uh, um, um, right now, uh, there's a big fight for your brain and the control of your brain. Um, you say, Brett, that's already happening with algorithms and stuff. Yes, but they're actually literally, you know. Um, Transhumanism, uh, putting chips in people's brains. The Bible says that there's going to be a thing where this world leader will come and, and um, put a mark in, not on, uh, in your forehead or in your wrist. Uh, and so, what is this going to be? Some kind of biochip or whatever? Or so past the technology now. There's so many things they're doing. Uh, right now, and there's kind of a battle for the brain right now, whether you're, uh, you know, uh, this, this most trustworthy news agency, the CNBC uh, people, um, they talk about brain implant startup backed by Bezo- Bezos and Gates um, is testing mind-controlled computing on humans. Uh, Synchron is part of an emergency co- uh, crop of companies that are testing technology in the brain-computer interface industry. The system is uh, implanted through your blood vessels and allows patients to operate technology using only their minds. Um, It helps them engage in ways we uh, take for granted, Synchron CEO, Tom Oxley said. Now, uh, on the other side of the uh, fight uh, from, you know, Uh, Bill Gates and Bezos and all these guys, you've got Elon Musk. Reuters article, U.S. regulators rejected Elon Musk's bid to test brain chips in humans, citing safety risks. So they're trying to stop Elon from getting his Neuralink. Neuralink doesn't appear to have... um, the mindset and experience that is needed to get this in the market so- soon. Kip Ludwig, former um, program director for Neuralink Engineering, U.S. National Institutes for Health (NIH), another very trustworthy um, organization. The NIH—that's uh, where Kip Ludwig's from. But this um, this Neuralink that uh, Elon Musk has been working has shown real promise uh, uh, for people that are uh, disabled, that are you know like uh, paralyzed from the neck down. And they can actually start to use your brain firing function to get your arms to start firing and moving. And uh, the technology is kind of shocking, uh, pun intended. Um, but, um, but this, this is actually a screenshot from Synchron's animation explaining how its brain implant uh, works. The company has regulatory approval. Uh, so Bill, Bill Gates and Soros has got approval to do this while Musk doesn't, that's kind of interesting. But um, basically everywhere you and I look, we see just the technology falling into place, the weapons falling in place, the nations falling into place, all the puzzle pieces. This is why we just kind of watch uh, what's going on in the world. Even as Jesus told us, watch, be sober, be vigilant. Um, these are the kind of things we're watching. Anti-Semitism, the Jews, Israel, all this stuff is part of what the Bible tells us to sort of keep our eye on. And um, it just seems to me like it's just ramping up. So what do we do, freak out? The end is near, is that what we're doing? No, let's remember what we're supposed to do. A couple quick reminders, John 14, one, Jesus talked about this, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He was talking about that, you know, when he goes to prepare a place for you. When I come again, I will receive you unto myself that where I am there, you may be also. This is the context where he said, don't be troubled. Don't be troubled by what's going on in the world. Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, I'll remind you, Jesus said, wherefore, Comfort one another. Uh, pardon me. That's First Thessalonians four. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And Matthew twenty. The, by the way, the comfort is the rapture of the church there in Matthew. Pardon me. First Thessalonians four. Matthew twenty four. All of that discourse. Jesus said, "See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet." Um, I love Titus chapter two, verses eleven and thirteen. Uh, for the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Boy, there's our marching orders, Christians. We're living in the last days. We shouldn't be playing around with sin, but instead denying ungodliness and don't get into the worldly lusts. We should live soberly, righteously, godly, looking, verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. That's what we should be doing. Uh, Looking for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. I love that. I love that. Lord, that's really what we wanna do. As we look at what's going on in the world, it causes us to just look up further still. And we look to you, um, the author and the perfecter. We look to you, our savior. And while the world says, don't look up, um, we keep our eyes fixed on your son, Jesus. Uh, Lord, I pray that we'd have a peace in our hearts that would pass understanding. Even though the world is going in a downward spiral. We have that blessed hope of your return, Lord. We, we have the hope of your glorious appearing. Um, we look forward to our glorious appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So give us that hope. May we live soberly, righteously. Um, Lord, show us where we can represent you better in these last days. And may our lights shine before a dark world, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.